Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Dear Ruby podcast, a podcast that aims to answer all your personal finance questions, whether it be about saving for an emergency fund, saving for your retirement, how to get the best value out of the things that you buy in your everyday life. We are here to answer those questions. And Bo and I have been focused on COVID-19 since the pandemic started and all the ways it affects our bottom line. Uh, This includes all the different programs that have been announced by the federal government, the provincial government, and your municipal governments, but also focusing on the fact that so many Canadians have lost their jobs, are worried about what the new normal is going to look like, if they are going to be able to find a job that pays them the same amount it did before the pandemic started. All of these things have really been a huge weight on people and really had an effect on personal finances. Last week, we talked about a couple of surveys uh, that you know show that people are very nervous about the future. They're very nervous about spending, having you know having the ability to pay all their bills, uh, because we don't really know uh, when the pandemic is going to end and when it does end, how long it's going to take to actually get back to the kind of economy that we we used to have. Uh, I'd like to bring in my co-host Bo Humphreys. Bo, how was your week? It, it was a it was a hot one here in southern Ontario. Did you get out and enjoy some of that weather? It was it was hot, and uh, you know I like to run every couple of days, right? So that's I like to run in the heat, which people think I'm a little bit nuts uh, to do. The hotter it is, the better. Uh, people like to be like, oh, it's so cool in the morning at like five. I'm going to run then, and I'm like three in the afternoon if I if I can. <laughs> uh, you know, right at the peak is when I'm doing that. Um, also, uh, this is the first week of uh, daycare. So this is a very uh, it's a very interesting week. Yeah, tell um, me more about that. How was how was Henry? Did he did he just slip right back into his old routine, or did he kind of think, why are you guys dropping me off? So you know, you're, we're dropping him off. I have a mask on, which he's fine. He knows that it's me, but uh, uh, I'm dropping him off with people with masks on uh, who are, who just you know sh- uh, shot a thermometer gun at his forehead, right? Um, it seems it's much more clinical than it would have been. Uh, but we started to uh, so the first day he was a little bit upset, uh, cry, crying. Apparently the morning wasn't great, but the afternoon was better as when he got outside and he got used to it. But it only took a couple more days for him to you know uh, by Wednesday or Thursday I'm handing him off uh, to the daycare workers who he had known from before. So what's good is to the two of his uh, uh, his daycare workers. Uh, uh, continued into this new, because it's a completely new uh, uh, location, and they don't even take infants anymore, so he just makes it by being, you know, 17 months, 17, 18 months, right, so that he fits in, he's, like, mature enough to be in that group, so which is good, because we might not have had anything. Uh, available to us, but so they're there. So I just started handing them off, and uh, and now he's actually happy to see them. So it, it didn't take long uh, to transition, um, and uh, the, pr- the procedures are they seem safe. You know, when I get there, I I call or, or they see me through the window, and they they clean him up and bring him out to me. And um, I'm I go in there in the morning. At, uh, I stop in the front entrance and and hand him off and. So far, so so far, so good. Uh, but it was really hot to like get him there and go to pick him up. And he's always like, you know, just driving around even for ten minutes uh, with the baby in the in the cars. Uh, so it's one of those uh, one of those weeks. But yeah, this is one of those things I never thought that I would have to be like, you know, worried about daycare or worried about all these procedures. If I if, if I would have like somebody would have said this to me like you're going to have to wear a mask and 
have a temperature check for this or that, it would have seemed crazy uh, a year ago. But this is our reality now. This is our reality, and we have to manage as best as we can. We can't, you know, I hear a lot of rhetoric coming, especially from my mom groups on Facebook, and I totally understand the anxiety uh, of, you know, what school is going to look like, and they've got to get the kids back in full time. And I understand that it has been very daunting having children your children with you all the time. They're bored. You're frustrated. It's, you know, I'm running out of things for them to do. But we're in a pandemic. Nothing is normal. It's not like we can just pretend the pandemic's not happening and go back to normal. So the same thing for Henry, um, you know, the way that the daycare workers now have to interact with him and interact with you, that's just the new normal. And even though he's a baby, he's, he, he, he as well has to just kind of learn to live in it, unfortunately. Um, you know, for him, at least... As a baby, he doesn't have to feel the anxiety of all the things that's that we're right. hearing. But he a lot of young, know what's happening? But yeah, yeah, he just probably thinks, "Oh, that's weird. Why are you wearing a mask? Do they wear the mm-hmm. mask the entire time?" That the baby's... no, no, just as we're handing off, and then once they're all oh, in the room okay, together, then. then yeah, then it's masks. Yeah, off, right? so then they know it's friendly and stuff. Okay, so that's exactly. much much yeah, better. Yeah, right. Because just the getting them in there, and then they're all in the same cohort together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good. And I mean. You know, uh, it's a it's a bit of a risk, I, I guess, right? I mean, we have apparently zero cases in Hamilton, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, as of now, there's people recovering, but nobody in the hospital with it. Um, you know, they're monitoring people who are, have been in hospital and are recovering from from COVID. Here, uh, doesn't mean that it's not uh, possible to get, but the risk is super low, um, especially uh, for those who have been, you know. Uh, tested before or are, are not uh, interacting with other people who they don't interact uh, normally with all the time. So that's one of those things. If you stay within your bubble or your your co- your cohort of uh, people, we're good. But but exposing uh, Henry to, uh, you know, I think six other kids um, who then have families of their own. And then all it takes is one of those people in one of those families to step outside of their bubble or for someone else who they interact with to do that, it's a it's an easy uh, thing to break. You know, if we don't all stay vigilant about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we have a lot of things to talk about yes, this we week. Do. Yeah, um, I think the big headline for me, anyways, uh, was uh, in March is usually when the federal government puts out their budget and they talk about what they're going to be offering Canadians this year and what tax. Uh, new taxes and new incentives that are coming out. And they didn't do that because the pandemic had just started and there really was so much uncertainty. So they were unable to provide a budget in March, but they have done that now. They're calling it a fiscal snapshot. So it's not really a full, you know, um, 365 days. This is what we're going to be doing. But the headline number is that the pandemic has ballooned our uh, deficit from th- 34.4 billion, which already, if you think back to the last election, everyone was so worried about how much debt Canada oh is in. Uh, f- d- 10 times that, 343.2 billion. But we have to put a lot of context around this number. Sure. It seems so, big if you don't know about anything else, right? Yeah, it seems big. It is big. Without a doubt, it, 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 is, it is like. A, it is big by itself, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a third of a trillion dollars. It's a lot of money. The, so the government announced this, you know, as, as no, no surprise here, you know, a lot of like sort of right wing conservatives kind of really just sort of took this to task. But the way that, um, that this has been presented is that the alternative would have been worse. So not 
spending the money on CERB and wage subsidies and helping small businesses and big businesses and all the other programs that the federal government announced, which is why this number is so big, the alternative would have been much worse. So if we hadn't provided uh, federal income support, so that's the CERB, where would people have gone to make money to pay for everyday things in their in their life? They would have gone to debt. So they would have gone... Yeah you know, taking out money from their line of credit, put money on their credit card. So their individual uh, personal finances would have been dramatically affected. And that would have had, um, uh, you know, snowball effect for for decades. I mean, if you get into, you know, $100,000 debt trying to survive the pandemic, like say the pandemic lasts 18 months, two years, um, you're going to spend a lot of time paying that money off. I mean, $100,000, I'm just saying that off the top of my head. But my point is, is that you may have to tap a lot of money to get through this time. And so the government did make that comment that we took the debt so that you wouldn't have to. And I think that's actually very smart because now as a country, we can deal with the debt. And going into going into the, into the pandemic, Canada had a debt to GDP ratio, the lowest in all the G7 nations. So our oh, really? total, de- our total debt right now is 1.2 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously 343 bi- uh, billion less than that, so yeah. 700 odd um, uh, billion at that time. So our um, at the time was 31 percent. So our total economy, we we are an economy of about 1.7 trillion. So okay. 31%, we our debt represents about 31 percent of that. If you compare us to the United States. Their debt to GDP ratio going into the pandemic was 107%. So that means even if they one year decided all the, you know, everything that they produce in a year, they're going to use that to pay debt down, which is impossible because you still have to pay for other things. But just saying, you know, um, they still wouldn't be able to pay it off. So, you know, we have to really put Mm. into perspective how much stronger our economy was. Um, compared to, I mean, Japan, for example, has the highest debt to GDP ratio going into the pandemic, 273%. So that means um, their economy, whatever it creates in a year, their debt is 2.7 times higher than that. And that's, you know, often when we think about our own personal finances, that's the way, you know, those ratios often make, you know, help put into perspective. Um, you know, if you have an eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar mortgage and you make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, just say you know you got a great salary, then yeah. you can say you know um, my my uh, my personal jet, uh, debt uh, debt ratio is like uh, two hundred and fifty percent, percent, yeah. But I have the ability to pay it back over time. I'm living in this house. You know, it's going to go lower and lower as I pay my mortgage down. Yeah. Um, so. It, I just think that people need to get in get in their heads that um, Canada was in a much stronger position going into the pandemic. Um, you know, our debt to GDP ratio was a third of what the Americans uh, were were um, were managing, and even though it's now ballooned to forty nine percent, that means everything that our economy outputs in one year. Um, if you know, if we took the number how much debt we have, half of it it would be debt. Um, it is not going to be impossible for us to pay that back because we were much stronger going in. Yeah, and if, yeah. If we if we think about consumer debt as an example, uh, you had the mortgage one. If say we say uh, uh, you have ten thousand uh, dollar credit card debt, but you say you net thirty thousand dollars in a year, right? And maybe uh, say half or more of that 
maybe you have maybe you technically have ten thousand dollars left at the end of the month right that that would be a good position uh you know ten thousand dollars at the end of the year right so you have ten thousand dollars that you don't need to live you have ten thousand dollars in debt you could pay that off that's not a bad position to be in we're kind of closer to that right the ability we have the ability to pay off our debts if we didn't have any other extra costs to be planning for which is in one of those things that's why we don't just automatically pay off our debts right away right why do people carry debt because they're thinking maybe about the future and they have other priorities too and the government is just a, a you know larger example of this and mm-hmm. larger than even a typical business who if a business was in this situation that's not so bad but if a business was in the US or a Japan situation that business would not be looked at favorably if uh, in isolation unless they were like um say a startup i'm sure tons of startups are in this position right where they have very little uh, income coming in uh because the income is projected so this the projections for the future that are enabling people to invest and i think a government is more similar to that say right we're projecting in the future that the economy is going to get better that everyone's going to be able to make more money continue so we're okay to go into this debt now to help us survive that's kind of the way it makes sense to me when i think about it i want to uh, just make a correction it's not 273 it's actually 237 japan that is okay. the most indebted nation in the country. That's still um, a lot. Anything over 100% sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we don't talk about, and like you just mentioned, we don't talk enough about ability to manage debt. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone may be in $2 million debt because they started a new company and they needed that money, that capital up front to start. But their projection is that in three, four years, they're going to be getting a revenue of four bill, four million, right? I mean, I'm just yeah. throwing these numbers out there. Yeah. So but, as long so as that's okay. Yeah, that in a sense, yeah, because that's how you build businesses is that you take on risk and then mm-hmm. you build out your idea and you start to slowly get whatever, it, whether it's clients or customers or selling your product, whatever it is that you're doing. And over time, you're able to not just pay that debt down, but the fact that you were able to use that money to build your company, now you're able to employ people. You're able to have a better uh, lifestyle yourself because now you can make a bigger salary. So And take more risks. Uh, and take more. Maybe you couldn't before. So you, that's how you can keep increasing your risk uh, and not be like going, become insolvent uh, afterwards. Right. And so... If everybody was afraid to take debt, no one would ever build companies because that's normally how companies that's are right. built. No one just yeah. is like, oh, can you give me $2 million? I'll like, let me save it first and yeah. then I'll, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. So, I, I mean, we're kind of digressing from the message that the, the I want to send with the fiscal snapshot. But, you know, this $343 billion is a lot of money. Canada is not really about austerity. Canada really tries to keep all their programs up and running. So okay. I think it's more going to be about we're not going to see um, any new... Uh, programs added. I I think there may be a new tax coming in order to pay for this. Uh, like something like you know Makes maybe sense. GST was yeah. um, was uh, was reduced to thirteen percent. Maybe or rather it was reduced one percentage point. So maybe they'll up the GST. GST created by a conservative government. FYI. Um, <laughs> so uh, so and they, it, GST was created to pay down debt. Right. So the government felt like they needed to pay down their debt. This was like the early 1990s. They felt that, you know, they needed to bring something in that was going to get uh, Canadians, um, uh, you know, get Canadians paying a new tax so they could use that revenue. Um, So, yeah, I could see that happening. But I don't see programs being slashed or I know. Everything shutting down while rebuilding. 
Yeah, no, but... I don't think so. But I don't, I don't see a, ma- a massive amount of growth. Like, it's not like they're going to announce new programs that are really expensive. Like, next year's budget is probably going to be pretty slim. Uh, yeah, sure. But um, we could see, you know. And so the number's big. The number's scary. But the alternative would have been much worse. Uh, it would have yeah. been Canadians even more highly indebted than they already are. We knew we were already paycheck to paycheck going into the pandemic. 50% of us, that is. And um, many people might have gone to, uh, you know, um, taking unnecessary risks, like going into work still, even though COVID-19 is still, you know, especially There's in the beginning. So right. So too, more people would have gotten that. sick, more more pressure on the healthcare system. So giving Canadians CERB and keeping them at home was the best thing the government could have done. Sure. Um, I wanted to move on to some of the... the uh, casualties of the pandemic we've mm-hmm. been talking a lot about retailers and how they are struggling especially you know uh, places where it would be considered a luxury like clothing stores and restaurants and places that you go to when things are good and your paycheck is you know not uh not being uh you're not at risk of losing your job and you feel okay about spending extra money uh so these you know there's like a list of companies that are uh, basically leaving Canada it includes oh, wow. um David's Tea uh the Children's Place Starbucks uh Time Maternity if if anyone who's been pregnant knows that store very well Victoria's Secrets Bath and Body Works and also a Canadian company Le Chateau is talking about how they really don't think they can survive in this environment because even though the malls are open and stores that are on on a street level, they've been open for a little bit longer. The foot traffic's just not there. People are not going in to buy clothing because we're not going anywhere. So there's nothing to buy clothing for. The big companies that on this list, like Microsoft, it makes sense to not have retail locations. They were just added value anyway for them. It was just added exposure. They can sell all of their things online. A lot of these places can. And why wouldn't they? If they're not getting the foot traffic in the retail locations, it's just, it's just a loss, loss for them every day. I always felt like the Microsoft stores were in reaction to the Apple stores. I didn't really feel that sure. they it was an idea that they came up on, on their own. They just thought, oh, wow, Apple has yeah, this model. Point. And now, you know, because they very quickly created and it just never had the same uh, rhythm to it. Like I, I never went into really a Microsoft store because I don't have any of their products that I'd have to, uh, I need for them to fix. But um, I've been many times into an Apple store. And whenever I did see the Microsoft store, it was always empty. It didn't have the same kind of. It just didn't. I don't think it attracted the same type of consumer. And it's very so, typical of Microsoft, actually. It's, it's yeah. funny if you know it's the, like the boring between, cousin between Apple and and Microsoft. It's <laughs> it's very representative of uh, oh, Apple made this thing. Let's try to make one, and it's Windows ninety five, and it's terrible, right? So you know the they have a lot of experience with making mediocre versions of what Apple does, but also usually charging a lot less for them. So I'll give them that. There's also there's also companies on this, on this on this list. I don't want to make fun of any company because obviously people are losing their jobs. But you know yeah. stores where I never really understood how they survived to begin with, like things <laughs> engraved, right. right? Like remember yeah. that store? It's so I mean, specific. Right? Yeah, like how many times am I going to buy something and have it engraved for someone? And it was always really cheap jewelry, from what I remember. It's a very niche thing. Like you know, there's this hole in the market, and we're going to try to uh, fill it. And yeah, but but anything like a little tiny pandemic or uh, this is no tiny pandemic, but any little tiny thing in the economy probably would have affected this company. It's the first thing to go. 
Uh, yeah. Are you going to still get your things engraved? <laughs> yeah, you're right. We shouldn't make fun. This is not this is not uh, a nice thing. But I just feel like some of these businesses it was t- their time had run out. It's that, this is yeah. kind of like, you know, right? just just speeding up the inevitable. <laughs> Like the uh, VC, any VCR repair shops are yeah, are yeah. done, right? Yeah. If there was or any left over, CD makers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had two quick questions uh, that have been sent to me uh, that I wanted to answer. The first question is: My girlfriend, this uh, this young man sent about his girlfriend. My girlfriend worked full time in retail before this and has been getting CERB through the EI portal. Uh, but they just asked her to come back. Her, her store did. And she doesn't feel comfortable, so she quit. Uh, would that make her ineligible for EI or CERB in the remaining months? So um, it would make her ineligible for both EI and CERB because if you quit your job, you cannot take advantage of those programs, especially CERB, well, in EI as well. They are there for people who have been laid off or have lost their jobs in the case of CERB because of COVID-19. Now, if she, I, what I did tell him is that if she can say that the company has not taken all the right measures yeah. to make her feel safe, That's then right. she may have a case. Or maybe if she lives with an immune compromised person, she may have a case to still take CERB. And in my humble opinion, I don't know how much they're going to audit the CERB program because there's so many people that have taken it. And so she may just get away with getting the CERB because she's already been taking it for that while but there is a paper trail she did get an roe a record of employment that shows that she quit so uh you know really if you're a stickler and you're looking at all the all the all the facts she should be going back to work unless there is a good reason why she can't it's a tough situation right where you you see this thing the crb uh that's there to help you survive when you either don't feel comfortable working in her situation or can't work uh, but one of those is a is a legitimate reason, and one of them is not. And if you can find the gray area, and someone uh, uh, in official capacity tells you that okay, that qualifies you just enough, then please go find that because I don't want anyone to not have money, especially if they feel unsafe. So, but it's it's really one of those things that you got to investigate and and take a risk. You're taking a risk. Yeah, and and the really the problem is is that right now. For sure, she'll get the CRB payments. Uh, but what will happen is in May, if they ask her too many questions, she may have to pay it back. So I was uh, the advice I gave is that if she stays on CERB, is to make sure she gets paperwork that shows that you know whatever for whatever reason she couldn't go back, like whether she needs a medical note or you know whatever it is that she needs, like she has that in place, and then um, save some of that CERB just in case you do have to pay it back. I mean, you should be saving at least 30 percent anyways for yeah. tax purposes because it's a taxable benefit. Uh, but I would say even put half away if you can uh, so that you don't um, you don't get stuck in a situation where you have a big tax bill, which could really hurt you in May. Absolutely. So the other question we got, again, about CERB, I'm inundated with questions about CERB, even though it's been around for a while. Um, this young, right Yeah, this young man is saying that they've or, he's already claimed four weeks of CERB. Now, I think what he was trying to say is that he's, uh, yeah, he's claimed four weeks and he says he has two more potential claims. Uh, he actually, if he's only claimed four weeks, he still has 12 more weeks that he could claim. Yeah. Uh, but basically, he's worried because, he, you know, there's no guarantee his job is going to come back in September. He works in the film industry. Um, he does have the potential to be able to work at a restaurant in his neighborhood. And he wants to know, would it be a good idea for me to take that job? Or should I stick to CERB? What would make more financial sense? 
Um, and then he was asking about tax purposes, which I answered, you should, you should be saving 20 to 30% of it. So what I told him is that, you know, you can still make a thousand dollars while you're collecting CERB. So if you can make a thousand dollars working at this restaurant, because I don't think they're going to be needing you, you know, every single day, but if you can make a little bit of money, as long as you stay within that thousand dollars, you'll still get that $2,000, um, CERB, uh, benefit. And that's actually going to help you be able to save some money because now you've got $3,000 as a student who's living with his girlfriend. Um, you may have the ability to put a little bit of money away for, you know, a rainy day, which to him might be him not being able to go back to work in September. The CERB payments are only available till October 3rd. So after that, um, it's either EI or any savings that you have. So it would be good, good for him to take full advantage of any opportunity that comes his way. And if he's getting CERB payments to still put money away uh, for, you know, after October when maybe he may have no um, access to any job at all. Just got to be careful with that thousand, right? Because I've been hearing if it's like a thousand and ten dollars, you don't qualify for CRB anymore at all. Yeah, so I recommended that he not go over nine fifty. Yeah, just like to keep yeah, it safe. give yourself yeah. a, a, that room Some there buffer. because. Uh, yeah, and then uh, then after the CRB runs out, then then maybe you can ramp up hours or take another uh, part time job or and and then rely on the savings for the uh, buffer in the meantime. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a tough calculations for people to make <laughs> these yeah. days, but at least there's something. These are something that we can use uh, to help. And CRB is highlighted uh, because a lot of people are taking it because it actually nets them more money than they do working of how many yeah. people are underpaid and how many people are working for very low uh, low wages and still surviving because, you know, the, the number of stories coming out saying I actually get more on CERB and, you know, people criticizing them saying, oh, you're staying on CERB because, you know, you make more money. That in and of itself should raise a red flag that companies are not paying their 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 employees properly, especially in retail and restaurant environments, they should be paying them more so that the CERB is not attractive. So that as soon as that company opens up or that restaurant opens up, you're back there because you can make more than $2,000 a month quite easily. Yeah. We have run out of time, Bo. We have. <laughs> um, it's our own fault. It's our own fault. We t- <laughs> chit-chat too much in the beginning. But I just want to thank you so much. Uh, today's episode was great. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, you can go to our website, DearRuby, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. You can send us, you know, as these two young people did, you can you can email us some questions. You can record a question and send it to us and we'll play it within the podcast. We try to cover all the big personal finance stories of the week and how they affect your pocketbook, whether it be a big federal announcement or, you know, just how Canadians are surviving day to day during this pandemic. Um, if you have any co- questions or comments, we also welcome those and we'll address that on next week's episode. Next week's episode is going to be great because we'll have... Um, a, a, a maybe a, a a surprise guest. We don't know whether we'll he'll see. make an we'll appearance see. or not. But he's a little guy. He's like, you know, maybe <laughs> a seventeen, eighteen pounds. How much does he weigh? Twenty pounds. Oh, he's he's uh, up to twenty three now. Oh, okay, twenty three yeah. pound uh, guest. And uh, <laughs> you know, he can he can be uh, he might be napping the whole time, or we may be hearing uh, some of his uh, cute gonna, words. Which we'll try to time it so that he's napping, but it, it could be a bit little baby Henry. Uh, my wife has a, a, a shift at the hospital, so I we're gonna record uh, anyway and see mm-hmm. how it goes. Yeah. And this is the reality, right? All of us are working from home, trying to work within whatever situation we're in with our kids. And a lot of us sometimes have to just work around our kids' schedules. So I think next week will be really I uh, something that a lot of people will be able to relate to, <laughs> for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you then. 
Yeah, thanks, Bo, and see you guys later.